Happy 420, Cody. Yes. And happy 420 to you as well, my friend. And if you celebrate Adolf Hitler's birthday just like we do. <laughs> no. No. God damn it, no. No. This is like... Do you remember when... Uh, Heil Hitler, Robert, right, Cody? No, no. You remember... No, 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 no. You remember when Robert Schmeagel used to do the fun with real audio? You were asking for us to, like, get punched in the face right now. I, it, it, It's even terrible to joke about. I know, I know. However, uh, Death to Smoochie. Go back and watch Death to Smoochie because that it has the funniest... Just watch the movie. Well, that's a deep cut, that one. Yeah, man. Well, you know, what's funny is I, uh, uh, in my shoot job, I had to go into a dispensary. Uh, and one of the times I went into a dispensary, it was packed. It was crazy. It's like they were having a party. And I asked the girl at the counter, I go, what's going on? She says, oh, well, it's 420. I went, ah, I forgot you guys celebrate. Uh, Hitler's birthday, and she was mortified. She's like, "What?" <laughs> the, there's there's a large chunk of people that have absolutely no idea. Hitler was born on April twentieth. So, uh, you weed folks out there who celebrate April twentieth, <sighs> time to pick another day. I think four nineteen is fine with me. Anyway, if you'd like to support us and not Hitler's birthday, a good way to do it would be by going over to turnbuckleboogie.com, clicking on the gimmick table, and purchasing yourself a Turnbuckle Boogie t-shirt. Right, Cody? Yes. Let's boogie! going to get fucking canceled for that who cares <laughs> somebody oh without a goodness. sense of humor is gonna be like hey yeah <laughs> there are a lot of those people in the world yeah and you know what i tune them out indubitably i'm sorry if you got no sense of humor I, we got nothing to talk about speaking of like kind of skewed senses of humor have you ever seen the show moral oral let me do an introduction. Folks, welcome to Turnbuckle Boogie. I am professional wrestling historian Timothy Styles. With me is Cutthroat Cody Hancock, the professional wrestler and trainer. That's me. Uh, no, I've not seen Moral Oral. It was a claymation show that I think only ran for two seasons that was on Adult Swim that was insanely fucked up. Uh, there's clips that are kind of popping up on YouTube recently of it. I highly recommended going down that rabbit hole. I think it's on Hulu, mm-hmm. but I'm curious to see if it's actually in its entirety. Well, I believe that HBO Max has um, all of the adult Maybe swim it is, stuff. So it's HBO Max that I'm thinking of then. Uh, so yeah, go get your Venture Brothers and your Moral Oral. What a what a name. Oh, man. It's a brilliant show. Anyway, folks, today's episode is named after uh, the homicidal, genocidal, suicidal. What else am I Death defying maniac. The human highlight reel. The nephew of the Sheik. 
friend of the insane clown posse. Oh no. <laughs> I knew that was going to get you. Well, yeah, because that'd be like, hey, man, would let's play a game of Would You Rather. <laughs> would you rather uh, go to sleep in a pit of cobras or <laughs> claim that you're a friend of the ICP? I'd go, how many cobras are in there? <laughs> Can we get a ratio of cobras right now? <laughs> uh, I I have a fun Sabu story. Oh, I'm all ears. Uh, that also involves the insane clown posse. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, I, you know, it's interesting. Before you you start, the insane clown posse, like, I respect their business acumen. These are two guys who make terrible music, um, who were able to create a really sizable fan base um, and make a, a pretty generous living. Yes. Um, now, that's not taking into account the quality of the fan base. There's a lot of I'm really sure high-end juggalos in um, the world. Okay. Filthy yeah. Tom Lawler. Sure. Whoop whoop to you, sir. Right. Is yeah. a juggalo. Right. All we know about Filthy Tom Lawler, two things. He's filthy. And two, he's got a bad taste in music. No, I know more than two things about Tom Lawler. All right, man. give us a third. Uh, he enjoys gr uh, Giant Gram 2000 for the Sega Dreamcast. <laughs> God damn. So intricate. Yeah. All these just specific details. Well, because I, I, I trained with Tom Lawler yeah, yeah, for like a little bit of time. So right. I got to know him and... It, uh, his wife on like a personal level. They're amazing people. Right. But I respect uh, Insane Clown Posse for their, what they've accomplished. But sadly, <clears throat> the, uh, when you have a fan base, they can be um, uh, stereotyped by their lowest common denominator and yes. their lowest common denominator are a bunch of fucking meth head goofs. Yes. With all due respect, if you're just in love with ICP, um, you know, and if you've ever heard these two talk, it is absurd how not, you know, these are guys who are well into their 40s, I have to assume. Yes. It's probably close to 50, if not 50 altogether. And they still talk like old school G's. Um I don't know. Just, they have their own vernacular, which I think is become just this little tiny subsect of pop culture. Uh -huh. And it, I, I am not as offended with the insane clown posse as you and uh, a lot of other people. Sure. I, they treat wrestlers very, very well. Sure. They like wrestling. Um, I don't know. There's certain aspects. You can make an argument that they've probably devalued some wrestling in some ways, but that's a conversation for another day. I I feel that, but I, I have a story. Well, there, before we get to it, yes. I want to, as you said, that they don't offend you. I would like to offer you a challenge. Okay. There is an ICP book uh, out in the wild. And they also have a role-playing game. No. Yeah, they they came out with a role playing game years ago, and it's called Morton's List. Okay, and you roll dice, and it's kind of a 
truth or dare type of role playing game mm-hmm. and you get more points if you roll the dice and then all of a sudden it's like you have to go and get a gorilla suit and then go to the grocery store and buy bananas like shit like that sounds great yeah <laughs> i'll add it to my collection post haste uh you know what there's also a faith no more uh role playing game coming to the market soon so i don't know one outweighs the other i'm i'm also a faith no more fan yeah um but i'll say to anyone who's an icp fan out there i have a challenge for you i encourage you to buy the icp audiobook which i don't have the uh title of off the top of my head just get on amazon or whatever get the audiobook and listen to that and tell me how far you make it, because the end is not going to be an option. <laughs> Here we go, ninjas and ninjets. Chapter one, the butterfly. The butterfly, the butterfly, the butterfly. Outside of my mom's netting, the first thing I remember is my real dad, Richard Bruce, building a haunted house in our basement. I must have been two years old at the time. My brother Rob, my sister Teresa, and I explored all through that haunted house, which he had built out of blankets and shit like that. He recorded this tape of his voice saying, I'm over here, I'm over here, find me, I'm over here. And he hid the tape player under some blankets. We crawled all through that haunted house, all dark and scary, until we found the tape recorder and realized it wasn't really him. To me, that was the shit. The only other thing I remember about my real dad, Rick, was him throwing a TV set at my mom. She was standing at the bottom of the stairs and he was up at the top. They were arguing. He disappeared from the top of the staircase and came back with a TV set and threw it down at my mom. She had to yank me out of the way as it came crashing down. Well, I I grew up in a trailer park, uh, much as yourself, and the very first concert I actually ever went to, yes, sir, was an insane clown posse concert. And through that little venture in my life, Casey, my fiance, fucks with me unrelentlessly about being a former juggalo. As she should. So ECW shuts down and me and my friends are all like really, really, really taking it hard. Right. Me it too. was our favorite wrestling promotion. And randomly we decide, OK, well, ICP's coming to town. I think at that point it may have been my third or fourth uh, Insane Clown Posse concert. Were they on the WCW by then? This was after WCW. This is after the buyout of everything. No ECW, no WCW. The only thing that's left is WWF. Right. And we showed up to that one late, uh, which normally any concert me and my friends used to go to, we would be the first people in line so we could get our spot on the guardrail because we wanted to blow our eardrums out by the speakers. Mm Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I can't remember why, but we just couldn't facilitate getting down there in time. So we're about in the middle and there was two opening acts who were also billed on ICP's record label, Psychopathic Records. Yes. Twisted and uh, other people. Yes. I could name some, but I'm not going to because I know you don't give a shit. Oh, actually, I'm interested in hearing the name. And you got to give me the spelling because Twisted was T-W-I-Z-T-I-D. I-D, yes. 
Zug Island. <laughs> Blaze your dead homie. Oh, I should say, forgive me. Blaze ya dead homie. Right. Anybody killer. And that is kind of the extent of what I know. As far as hip hop goes, this shit was pretty whack. It was. It's so much fun to see the parodies that have come out on the internet since. I'll Juggalo News was absolutely brilliant, and I'll share that with you later. But so ICP is about to get on stage. Yes. So lights go out, and all of a sudden, like the lights started going in certain areas of the stage show, ICP walks out, and then you just see a silhouette in the center of the stage of the Huntridge. Oh, the Huntridge. That's yes. a Vegas, uh, legendary Vegas venue. Which I spent my youth at. Sure. And I remember seeing uh, White Zombie there. Oh, it's amazing. It's yeah. absolutely amazing. So, And Pantera. Yeah. Like some, um, it's a shame that the Huntridge is not around anymore. Well, it's still there. It it's, just doesn't do anything. Yeah, correct. And the silhouette has a finger pointing to the sky. Yes. And I grab my friend Bobby and I just scream in his face, it's fucking Sabu. Yeah. And we rush our way from the middle of the concert floor all the way to the guardrail. We were just throwing people out of our way. And we ended up being front row center for Sabu, who went into his wrestling boot and for no other reason, he was just, in his gimmick. He was in complete gear. He was, <laughs> he came out in gear, like with a railroad spike. And he was popping two liters of Fago with the railroad spike. And he was throwing him out to the crowd. Yes. And then eventually he puts the railroad spike in his boot. Right. And he runs back. And I know what's coming. Like, I'm like, oh, he's going to dive. So, me? Was it a? Uh, sorry to interrupt. Was it a railroad spike? It was a railroad spike. Railroad spikes are normally thick, and it was it was either that or a nine inch nail, right? And it had a little tiny edge at the end of it that looked like a railroad spike. Hmm. I have to imagine it's a nine inch nail, although I don't know. Well, no, it can't. It doesn't have to be nine. The term nine inch nails is what it, it, they. Is what they drove into Jesus. All I know is is that it was an Asiatic spike, right? Like that used to be used by the Sheik. I'm just saying, yeah. as somebody who grew up in parts of the Old West, I'm familiar with what actual railroads. They're pretty look big, like. but it it looks similar. Okay, I understand, but, but I, I just wanted to make yeah. that distinction. All right, go ahead. He shoves it in his boot. Yes, and he gears up for the dive and. Me and all my friends who are backyard wrestling know yeah. what's going to come. So we caught the dive right. and he dove right on top of us. I'm surprised he didn't put a, a, a chair, a up folding before. chair yes. underneath. That would have like, <laughs> I mean, at that point, the chair was probably just as dangerous as any other time he used it because the amount of diet in just fun fact, they use diet Fago at ICP shows. That way you don't get all sticky. Well, and it's nice diet. You're just covered in aspartame. And, and, and diet root beer. It's diet root beer for every ICP concert where they do Fago showers that are inside of venues. It, like 
juggalo fest. I don't like any of these shows where you get covered in stuff. No Guar. Oh my god. No fucking You're ICP. Breaking my heart, man. Gallagher, go fuck yourself. I actually have a war story too, but I'm not going to tell that one. So Sabu dives, and then I have to get the spike. Uh, of course you do. That's that becomes my life mission is to get the spike from Sabu. I grab at his boot and I try to pull it out and he starts punching me in the head, but he's not like really like trying. As he's crowd surfing. Yeah. He's not trying to knock me out. He's just, and he even says, get off me. Just, just get off, get off. I'm like, dude, just give me the spike. Get off me. And he's just like kind of worker punching me in the fucking head. (laughs) And it was at that moment that I knew I was going to be a professional wrestler. Because I knew I could take worker punches from Sabu. Uh, this is uh, why girls shouldn't go crowd surfing. Because uh, guys like Cody out there who'll try to grab your boot spike. I wink, wink. No, I will not do that. <laughs> I just want Sabu's. I just want the spike. But I, that is what they do. I see uh, boobs and butts go by. They start grabbing the creeps. Oh, oh no! And that's I. Hey, Sabu's a person too. You can't be stealing his personal property. I just He's topless and you're grabbing inside his clothes. I- <laughs> Saturday night in Philadelphia, the combination of the easy title, baby. We're coming Saturday night for two things. How about it, Mr. Monday Night? Saturday night in Philadelphia. It's not just an ECW title, it's the ECW television title. Not that Shane Douglas has been defending his title lately or anything, but... I'm the television champion. And after Saturday, Sabu, we're going to have the tag team belts. There's three of us. We need three belts. Two and one. Right down the middle. Right, Daddy? Oh, what was that? Okay. Rob Van Dam and Sabu are going to take the tag team titles from Chris Candido and Lance Storm. And guys, hey, there's going to be consequences that you're going to have to deal with. For instance, Lance Storm, no offense, but... I don't think they're going to keep you around much. I mean, you're just so boring, you know? It's not like they need you, but we'll get you a job. Hey, we've got connections. And Chris Candido, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not my fault that after you lose your title, your old lady's going to be banging on my door again. (laughs) And speaking of banging, Francine, we'll even let you touch the gold if you let Fonzie here touch the silicone. Oh, yeah! Hey, you want to touch it too? I'm just thinking this. He needs to give it a little test. I mean, they look good and stuff. But hey, okay, Lance Storm, Chris Candido, we're coming to take your titles. Blow the whistle. I shouldn't object to Fai Sabu for just being That's a wrestler. Right. <laughs> that, uh, that, that, he could have got you for sexual assault. This guy was an ankle freak, <laughs> and he was trying to get in my my boots. Man, it. It was an incredible moment in time. And that's what made you say, I want to be a pro wrestler? Not necessarily, but it was something that it helped, you know, like in that subsect of culture, despite all of its flaws. Right. Yeah. Um, And I will say that there was a moment in time that ICP did kind of devalue professional wrestling, but then they realized a mistake that they had made. And then they changed the name of their wrestling promotion from juggalo champion shit wrestling to juggalo. Hold on, slow down and say that again. So it's clear juggalo champion shit 
wrestling. <laughs> so clever, these guys. They made millions of dollars. Yep. So they eventually they changed, changed it to it. championship. Yes. Wrestling. And they pay their talent. And they bring in legends. Yeah. And the gathering of the Juggalos went from the fans. There was a lot of polarization mm-hmm. with some Juggalos because they did not like wrestling. Right. But then it kind of just turned into this thing where they beefed up security at the gathering of the Juggalos. And they're like, hey, if we catch anyone throwing a bottle of piss at Ultimo Dragon, we're throwing you the fuck out. Right. So I. Which seems like a mean thing to do. He's a. He's a he's earned his spot. He doesn't deserve a bottle of whiz. It, correct. And I'm I'm somebody that even though it's sterile, let's be it, honest. I, mean, I don't mind if you hit me with a bottle of whiz. It means I got some real heat, brother. Yeah. And that's it's just this really, really, really bizarre part of my life mm. that. Every now and again, like it'll pop up and I'll like kind of giggle at it, right? you know, and once again for, and it's really messed up because Casey's from Detroit Ah. and she tolerates Kid Rock and tolerates. Yes. Tolerates Kid Rock. What does that mean? Like you listen to it and she goes, okay, whatever. No, she, she actually listens to it. So maybe I'm using the word tolerate in the wrong way. No, no. Yeah. You're not using it correctly. I have. She doesn't tolerate it. It sounds like she enjoys it. I have a zero tolerance policy for Kid Rock. Sure. Guy likes to body slam Democrats. (laughs) Did he say that in WWE uh, Hall of Fame induction speech? Mayhaps. Yeah. Hey, I'm so excited. I feel like body slamming Democrats. And you can see AJ Styles falling out of his chairs. Whoa! Fucking goddamn rednecks. Uh, (laughs) I'm sure they got together and, like, had a drink about how the earth is flat, too. I will say this about the WWE. When they get a fan who's any level of a celebrity at all, boy, they hang out with that motherfucker until the wheels come off. I mean, they are still playing this last... What was, what was their last pay-per-view? Was it WrestleMania? I think it was on WrestleMania. They were playing ball with the ball. Yeah. And I was like, Jesus Christ, what fucking year is it? And also Pitbull. That's all they got. Pitbull and fucking Kid Rock music. And they could have had Typo Negative, but they fucked him over. Did they? So Typo Negative actually wrote a theme song for Kane. And they decided to scrap that to go with the finger eleven, uh, a finger eleven version, Slow Chemical. Finger eleven is that yes. a band? They're a Canadian band. Don't we already got three eleven? Shouldn't you have to change your name? We should not have any more three eleven. Best band story ever. There were two Ezras in a town, and they decided let's handle this the old school way, not with a street fight, although that would have been better. Um, they decided to have a battle of the bands, and whoever lost had to change their name. Better than Ezra. You got it. The band who lost had to change their name, and they chose Better Than Ezra, even though they lost. <laughs> 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 anyway, Sabu. Yeah, man. Uh, how do you feel about Sabu now that his career is all sort of wrapped up? I feel like... In retrospect. He... Oh my god, my stomach just burped. Excuse me. I don't know if the mic picked it up, but I, I, I heard it. it. Well, we appreciate your your politeness. 
I think that Sabu's career has influenced the industry and like still today. Yeah. And if you look at his body of work and you put it alongside uh, Mick Foley, Mm -hmm. uh, Mick Foley wasn't the most graceful man that fell out of the sky. Right. And Sabu's botch ratio was incredibly high, but that almost became just as much as part of the allure of him. Like you never really looked at him as a consistently botchy worker because it's like, yeah, if this dude's going to try to run and jump off a chair and off the top rope and then do a backflip, he might not be successful and he might crash and burn. His mat game was also good. Yeah. He had a he had a really good mat game and he had really strong fundamentals that would shine through in certain moments of his career and he if I don't think that if it was for people like Sabu and people like Mick Foley there would not be TLC, uh, TLC matches. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh the Hardy Boys uh Dudley Boys Edge and Christian even look at public enemy. If you want to talk about table breaking and then you wouldn't have hardcore wrestling, uh, barbed wire. And I don't know if that's true. I mean, he didn't really, I don't know if he, you could say he was the one I, I who popularized he, I, it. I don't think he, he popularized it, but he elevated it. Uh, sure. Yes. That, so. that I'll agree with. Well, let me ask you this, and I think I asked the same question for um, our Cactus Jack episode. Bang, bang. Um, He had an impact on the industry. Now, do you think it was for, could you make an argument for the better or for the worst? Because there are certain elements of that time period that, as great as it was, there is a long-term ugly side to it. Not only for people's health, but for... um, uh, some pretty sloppy wrestling for a lot of years. Well, I think that... Or what's accepted inside of a wrestling ring. I don't necessarily think that it hurt much more than the industry was... It's it's really hard to put in this into words. I understand. I I I do hardcore stuff. Right. I've done ultra violence stuff. And I I've, like that there's a difference. <laughs> and well, and it, this is something like you you scoffed at this before, uh-huh. but the, there's a tier list, right? I think that's more of a well it's not say, like a musical subgenre type of thing. Like you're not going to see like glass in a hardcore match. Well, yeah. Uh, well, that's what I'm saying. Initially, I thought like maybe this is a backstage wrestler thing, but I think a lot of CZW fans probably think all this stuff too. I mean, this is above just an average wrestling fan's knowledge base. The difference between a hardcore match and a say a a, a death match. Yes, and the I think that. There's aspects of it that did hurt, but at the same time, there was 
some of the most important matches I've had in my wrestling career have been when I'm bleeding mm-hmm. buckets. And I have a love-hate relationship with that because I think that oftentimes people forget that I can actually wrestle. Right. And then they have an expectation of me. And then when I don't do hardcore or death matches consistently, people forget that I'm capable of also doing those things. So it's this really weird position to be in, but the backyard wrestling was probably heavily influenced by people like Foley and Sabu. Oh, God, it, almost specifically. Yep. Uh, I mean, the Hardys started in their backyard. Sure. And I feel like there's a lot of people like you had the Asshole Wrestling Alliance. That was my backyard comedy wrestling group. Yes. We threw essentially keg parties and essentially did stand up comedy, so to speak, while very bad matches were going on. Yep. And me and my friends would backyard wrestle and things like that. And it's just something that I think that the industry has always kind of been looked down on. Mm-hmm. I don't think that wrestling itself. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the exception of maybe in its inception and throughout its peak glory days with like the sixties. Um, no, it's always been looked down on. Right. By the bulk of humanity. Yeah, it's it's always... Even in its inception. It's always been considered lowbrow entertainment. And... Off- I would say that uh, credit where credit is due, Vince McMahon has done a lot to change that perception. Yes. And that's something that... I've. It's just so hard because I love wrestling. Right. But at the same time, I can't defend wrestling right to people i one of the biggest arguments well not one of the biggest one of the very first arguments that i got into uh my ex-girlfriend with was right before the steel cage match that i had with funny bone Mm -hmm. where there was thumbtacks and crazy stuff being used and i bled a lot right and we we got into a really big fight about the match and then it turned into, I had a point to prove and I proved my point. And then I ended up getting match of the year for that match. And that's something that it's just unfortunate because if you even go and look at like cage matches and blood feuds and what was it? Totally Blanchard um, Magnum TA and Magnum TA with the broken wooden chair and the like stabbing in the eye. Right. You know, and there's been blood baths dating back before people like Sabu and Mick Foley. Oh, I, uh, uh, comedian James Mattern for my birthday sent me a book called way of the blade. It's, uh, sitting above the, uh, toilet in the next room amazing cover by the way the perfect place to read it yes <laughs> when you're going number twosies uh reading about uh wrestlers gushing all over each other yep uh yeah you know it's interesting you you mentioned sabu and his botch ratio 
And none of this ever occurred to me for the longest time. In fact, throughout ECW's entirety, it never occurred to me that uh, he was screwing up all the time. I don't think he really did screw up a whole lot of times. It wasn't until later that, you know, Botchamania would, you know, publish a lot of his, you know, stuff that I, apparently it became a thing. But y- you are right. It's it's a matter of, yeah, this guy takes a lot of, he puts a lot of variables in, into his maneuvers. Yes. If you have to do a triple springboard moonsault plancha, that's a lot of words strung together. Yep. And that's a lot of things that you got to do one at a time. Triple springboard, off a steel chair, onto one rope, up to another rope, moonsault, plancha. You know, that's a lot. And there's going to be, um, it, it's going to be sloppy. Drop kick to the knee. Single leg by Terry Fuck. And Sabu admires Terry Fuck. He respects Terry Fuck. Can you imagine how much more dangerous that matchup would be if Sabu hated Terry Funk? If he hated his opponent in a barbed wire matchup? They tie up again thus far. Nobody has felt the wrath of a barbed wire. Hangman's neck breaker by Funk. Sabu rolls dangerously close to that barbed wire. think when i was younger it just never occurred to me it was just very exciting like holy crow because not you didn't see a whole lot of stuff like that going on certainly not in america no even then you know we've talked recently about jeff hardy and how i kind of just don't get it the truth is is i never really got it i thought he was the poor man's uh rob van dam and sabu at the time that was a major criticism of them yeah because what rob van dam and sabu did i thought took uh, crazy talent. Yeah. Uh, what Jeff Hardy did, I didn't think took a whole lot of talent at all. In fact, what I thought it took uh, is exactly what he had: pain pills. Well, and if I'm not trying to be super critical, right? Him, but it, look, it, you can't jump off of a 12 foot ladder and sit flush onto your tailbone onto a concrete floor and not you know, suffer something, but to, to the credit of Jeff, though, uh, Rob Van Dam, probably the THC level in his blood is probably (laughs) astronomically high. And I have stories that I can't tell. Um, and I have friends that have confirmed these stories with me. Sure. About Rob Van Dam. And the fact that he's uh, got weed grown out of his ears. Uh, 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 not only about Rob Van Dam, but about Sabu. Right. And about the majority of the ECW locker room. Yeah. You know, and back then, 
Jeff Hardy wasn't the only one on pain pills, right? It was. Oh, I'm aware yeah, of that. It, it, and but it, it the was point, a huge problem. But the point I'm making is it, it took talent to do that five star frog splash, you know? Yeah. That is not something easy to do. And by the way, something I've not seen replicated by any other human being. I've seen plenty of people, you know, Eddie Guerrero did a, a frog splash, but the five star frog splash, you know, where he completely bent in half the wrong way yeah. before he came back down. Like, holy shit, Jesus I, Christ. He would get so much air yep. that it was absurd. I, I've been, Matt Vandergriff from Future Stars of Wrestling hit me with a frog splash one time that took the absolute fucking air out of me. Well, technically it should take the air oh, out yeah. of you. Oh <laughs> yeah. And, and it should take the air he, out of both of you. He got, he got some height on that one. Chris Bay has a decent one, but once again, it's, not the original. Rob Van Dam was the originator. Ooh, man. I mean, really, it's 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 a sight to behold when you see him. He would get as the height that he got and the the flexibility of of his body, especially at his size, was really impressive. J- Jeff Hardy, and I don't mean to completely demean all his accomplishments, but you know, a lot of it is. Um, Falling off of big things. Same thing right. with Shane McMahon, who I was also not a fan of. I was a huge fan of Shane McMahon after his match with Kurt Angle. And to me, it's about the only thing that I can like really put a stamp on and say, hey, here's sure. somebody that it's a great match. Here's somebody that wasn't a professional wrestler that worked with the professional wrestler. And it was an incredible moment in time. But I, also, there's another element to that. And it's where the line between fiction and uh, uh, or nonfiction and fantasy become blurred when an actual crippling thing or an actual injury or something that could cause an injury happens Mm -hmm. and you see that they keep going and that they are fighting through something to continue to give people what they want. You get this sensation of like, you know, God damn it. Yeah. You know, you, you really get this, uh, you know, this sense of someone storming up, you know, the beaches of Normandy or some shit, you know, yep. it's the same feeling you got when, um, and what I'm talking about obviously is when he went to be German suplex through that plate glass and the glass didn't break and he landed on his skull Dunk. and you can hear it. Dunk. Uh, it was more than once. Yeah. And, uh, but you, that same sensation you get, when you watch that 1998, uh, June 1998, Hell in the Cell with uh, uh, Mankind and The Undertaker, yep. and the fact that he gets off of the gurney and people are holding him back, Terry Funk and uh, uh, Hebner are, are pulling at him going, Cactus, God damn it, don't do And he's going, get off of me. Yep. And he storms back to the ring. And the smiling. Crowd, yeah. And the crowd is like, holy shit. You know, that's a real sensation. And that's what happens when um, the lines become blurred. But ultimately, that's what we want as fans. We want to have that sensation of here's a guy fighting through something. It's just sad that it has to come to some sort of real uh, issue for the for them to get that kind of pop. And that's the the major criticism that flair had with Foley when they had beef was Foley wasn't a wrestler. He was a stunt man. Right. And 
outside of that, you can. There's truth to it. There, there, there is truth to it. Except you, for that, Foley could work. Yeah, and you know, Flair also was a stunt man in his own right because he was able to get whipped inside out of a turnbuckle, land on the ring apron, and get thrown off the top rope. Like that's there's an element of stunts in professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. There now, what turns into can you top that? If you look at things that are just as dangerous, but probably doesn't have as high of a crazy injury ratio, look at extreme sports, you know, like anything that's on the X Games, rollerblading, skateboarding, snowboarding. I just watched a HBO documentary on Tony Hawk uh, the other day. Hell yeah. Seems like a really good dude. Oh, yeah. He is a really good dude. Yeah. And... You have, they're doing stunts, but that's a part of the sport. Right. And that's something that wrestling is like everything, but there's nothing like wrestling. Mm -hmm. And that's something that really kind of makes you question every aspect of it. You know, yes, it's supposed to emulate a fight, but... If I've seen some really boring fights, we see boring fights in mixed martial arts all the time. We see boring boxing matches, sure. right? So th- the sensationalism that comes, <laughs> there was a whole period where fans were booing whenever Sheamus, Randy Orton, and uh, Big Show were in the ring. Just they or uh, Batista too. They just weren't having it. They were just. Sick of these big guys doing these slow ass matches. And anytime any combination of those four got into a ring, people were. And and you need to have some sensationalism put in there. Mm -hmm. A moment that plays in my head vividly. That Big Show could only do. Was somebody smaller was there was an angle on SmackDown where Rey Mysterio was put on a gurney. Mm-hmm. And then Big Show oh. picked it up and swung it like a goddamn <laughs> baseball bat on the ring post. Yes. And that was now granted, he had just as big of a moment with breaking the ring like three times with Brock Lesnar. Yeah. The first time it happened, it was amazing. The second time it happened, it was kind of cool. The third time it happens, like we've seen this before, which is a shame. And the barricade breaks and things like that. But well, the WWE assumes that they have just new fans every two years and that they don't know what happened two years ago. Yes. And which is unfortunate, but. They're very guilty of treating fans like they're stupid. Well, yeah. Anytime you Shane McMahon's just going to climb off of this thing and there's no feasible way that he could do anything other than fall backwards. Right. He, he It's not like he's going to like jump off the top with a cross body to somebody on the stage. Like it, it's not like he's going to like it. He, he can't do anything other than take a slow fall off backwards. Right. You know, and or do his elbow drop. Which, once again, it's, but it gets a reaction. Mm. And it's undeniable that if it gets a reaction, then that is an element of wrestling that is necessary, is anticipation. Mm -hmm. Okay, and every wrestling fan is trained and conditioned now to where when somebody does go underneath a wrestling ring and they pull out a table, there is anticipation in that moment. Right. And 
I I understand that doors like it's really hard to find wood tables now and doors have become a thing that's on the indies. And yes, I know the absurdity of the fact of why the fuck would there be a, a door under a wrestling ring? Right. Much like I know the absurdity of why the hell would there be a kendo stick to me? I think that if anybody wanted to fix that gap is do the new Jack, just come to the ring with a sharp, a shopping cart full of toys. Yeah. Full of garbage. Yeah. That you, <laughs> you pick up at the dollar store. New Jack was almost like his character was almost that of a home, a uh, uh, homeless person. And which was amazing because then in XPW out of California, there was homeless Jimmy that was homeless. New Jack. Right. It was amazing. Yeah, he would come with the shopping cart, just filled with ran- it, it like It's like a homeless person on his way, you know, across town to the arena, stopped every few feet and went, hey, look at that, a stop sign. Yep. And uh, let me put this in the cart. Yep. Hey, look at that, an old keyboard for a computer. Into the cart it goes. Yep. <laughs> and... <laughs> And that's I like how he would pull out things one by one, do something stupid with it, and yeah. then hit them with it. That that was the best part. Like he would have a broom and then he would pretend to sweep and he'd hit you in the balls with it. Yeah, the keyboard he, he would he would act like he's typing, huh, and then he'd whack. And then he had the vacuum cleaner, then he pretended like he was vacuuming it the golf club. And I man it's it, it is ridiculous, yeah. you know, and yeah, like it's, I'm not coming down on it. No, I know. It's I've a, become really passive uh, since this sh- since the show has started. Yeah, and I'm tired. I, I'm tired of hurting your feelings. Well, it's <laughs> well, but you're but you're not hurting my feelings. But at the same time, it's something that I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. Sure, you know, like it, it's if it's gonna. I had a Halloween street fight at Grap House with Ricky Mandel, and. He took a jack-o'-lantern and he used it like a bowling ball and rolled it into my nuts. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we got hard candy and then I took a, a choke slam or a pumpkin. It was a, it was a jack-o'-lantern. So it was it, hollowed out. Yes. It, God, this guy will sell for anything folks. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and it was a great match Yeah, yeah. and it happened downtown on a really busy night and it was fun. Sure. You know, and I got paid to do it. Yeah, exactly. And ultimately I love being super serious. Sure. Right. But every now and again, it's fun to just hit people with fun shit. Yeah. Serious is fun. Uh, you know, there's this thing it, since, uh, William Regal has shown up in, uh, AEW. He's his old, um, you know, evil villain self. Yes. Uh, which has been nice, you know. But I know what probably a lot of fans of his know, that he loves comedy. Oh, yeah. And I believe at, uh, last week after the show went off the air, uh, and of course they would share this on the social media accounts, there's an interaction between William Regal and uh, Danhausen. And there's only one way that can go. Uh, super funny. I haven't seen it. And R- R- Regal sells getting cursed is what it is. Oh no! Uh, you know he starts getting the shakes and starts uh, falling all over the ring and and hot stepping and stuff. It's it's absurd. And I could tell Brilliant. like he was having a good time. Like he's having a good time being the super serious bad guy. You know that who's the manager of these th- three badasses. Yep. 
but he has an even better time when he gets to be that sort of absurd character. Um, I used to like old William Regal silly cells yes. when someone would do something weird and he would just make weird faces and shuffle around the ring, you know, with his hand behind his back. Yeah. So, uh, I, you know, anything goes. And that's the beauty of wrestling. Sure. So it can be, I mean, that's what it's always been. It's the reason why the WWE is still around. It could be whatever you want it to be. The, if the times change, you can, you can completely morph into something else. You know, that's really Vince McMahon's true skill is that, you know, look, if I had a, uh, the money and a, to make my own promotion, it'd be the hottest shit for 10 years. And then it would go under, uh, because I'm too hard headed to maneuver into something different. You know, there's something I want to see and it would, it would, after people enjoyed it for a while, it would wane and then it would fail. Yep. They can change. That's why they can, that's why they can have a period of 15 plus years, whatever it was that they had the hardcore title and they had all the cooking uh, pan sheet uh, matches and why they had a period where they took advantage of the, the success of the cruiserweight classic and having 205 live, having the cruiserweight championship. And recently they've realized that shit has run its course and they put, uh, they took it out behind the shed, sadly, as much as you and I hate that. That's the secret to their success. The fact that they can fluidly move in and out of things. And the the bad part is, is for hardcore fans, it makes us go, these guys don't respect our intelligence because they think we're stupid. They yeah. think we'll just forget about stuff that's only a year past. Yeah. You know, but they're always working towards the future. So I'll give them some credit. Other than that, I think their fucking shows stink. And the thing is, is that I think that they've never taken consideration that instead of trying to create new fans, wait, no, instead of trying to keep the fans that they have, they've prioritized creating new ones. Right. Is what I meant to say. Yeah. And And you're right. That's, it's a shame because wrestling fans are loyalists. That's what they're banking on. Yes. They're banking on, and and they're right, too. I mean, there's a lot of people who, you know, that went to that WrestleMania recently. Oh, yeah. And I, for the life of me, cannot tell who these people are. Like, who? You know, I got offered tickets to go to a, a WWE event recently, um, I think for possibly a SmackDown taping, and I said, I'm good. And But I did counter with... Uh, AEW's got a thing coming up. You can get me tickets to that. That'd be great. Yeah. You know, um, it's going to be a big weekend. Well, yeah, they're, they're doing a collective. So that's exciting. Yeah. And they just announced tonight. We're recording on Wednesday, folks. Uh, they got a, uh, show called forbidden door coming up. It's the AEW versus new Japan. It's nice to see. I just hope Kushida is just right there for that pay-per-view. (laughs) Yeah. I, I just want him to be there immediately, please. Yeah, please. He's out of work. That that's one that is. Who was his tag team partner in the Time Splitters? Uh, Alex Shelley, right? And that it was a shame to see Kushida go, but at the same time, it's also not shocking. Um, WWE seemingly 
has never known what to do with actual Japanese wrestlers. Well, with the ex- and Nakamura has been on a killer run, that's right? The the counter to that argument. There's one. Yeah, one. <laughs> There's one. I don't know. Taka Michinoku was uh, pretty oh, big despite his forgive size. Me. Forgive me. Yes. Um. Oh, and I'm not even taking into account Kai and Tai. <laughs> Cut off your peepee. Paul E. Dangerously here, taking a look at the situation here in NWA Eastern Championship Wrestling. Let's look at everything that's been going on. It appears to me that there is a game of one-upmanship going on. Everybody wants to be the main doo-doo disturber here at NWA Eastern Championship Wrestling. I mean, Sensational Sherry takes a chair and whacks around a bunch of broads to the point where for the first time in American wrestling history, women are bleeding inside the ring. Then, you got a dude running around named Jason, and he introduces his very first protege, and a real impressive one at that by the name of Mr. Hughes. And then you got a dude running around by the name of Terry Funk, a former NWA World Heavyweight Champion. And Terry Funk, you want to come out here and defeat Superfly Jimmy Snuka for the NWA Eastern Championship Wrestling TV title? You want to double-cross J.T. Smith to the point where Smith is so broken-hearted he won't return Todd Gordon's phone calls, he won't appear on ECW television because his heart is so broken he can't stand to face his own hometown Philadelphia public anymore? And then you want to shock the entire wrestling world by bringing King Kong Bundy out of retirement at the non-televised November to remember? Terry Funk, don't you miss your ECW television championship that you lost in the middle of the ring in your title versus title dream partner tag team match? Huh? Don't you miss this belt? Don't you miss the prestige? Don't you miss the glory? Don't you miss the money that goes along with it? You must, Terry. I mean, it seems to be bringing back some awful bad memories for you that Sabu beat you in the middle of the ring and is now the ECW heavyweight champion and is now the ECW television champion as well. You're coming out here going, Oh, my daddy died in my arms. Hey, man, if I was your father and I looked up and I saw that face and I saw a son that walked like this and talked like this, I'd probably die in your arms too, man. If I ever sired a son that looked like that, I'd want to die too. But you see, Terry Funk, you got much bigger problems than my desires. Because there is someone here in ECW who is obsessed with your demise. And that is the ECW heavyweight champion and the ECW television champion. And he is just one man. And that man's name is Sabu. He's not a man, he's a monster. He's not even a monster, he is a living, breathing, homicidal, suicidal, genocidal animal that is without question the most awesome human machine of destruction on the face of God's green earth. A man that will sacrifice his own body to do physical harm unto his given opponent. 
a man who goes further than any kamikaze has ever gone. A man that does not mind breaking bones within his own system just to make sure that he breaks bones within yours. A man who does not mind having to spend the rest of his life with scars from head to toe as long as he wins the match because the only thing Sabu understands is getting his hand raised up in the air. That's the way he was raised. From the day that he was born, it was bred into Sabu that he will not have breakfast, he will not have lunch, he will not have dinner, he will not be fed, he will not get water, he will not have any of the accoutrements that go along with a luxurious lifestyle unless his hand go up in the air. And it, God forbid if Sabu ever loses a match. That's why he is the ECW heavyweight champion. That's why he is the ECW television champion. And that is how Sabu pinned you, Terry Funk, in the middle of the ring at the non-televised November to Remember. Now let's set the record straight. And let's be damn sure we set the record straight. I am not going to be responsible for any actions that Sabu commits because you, you fans here in the ECW, you're the ones that wanted the big slogan, ECW, it's not for everyone. ECW, we're the hardcore promotion. We love violence, we love blood, we love guts. Well, the most violent wrestler in the history of the NWA, the man that can deliver more blood and guts than any champion in any organization ever, is a man by the name of Sabu. Now, you can come out here and talk about Sensational Sherry making women bleed. And you can come out here and talk about Jason and Mr. Hughes. You can talk about the empty arena match between Bad Company and the Public Enemy. An empty arena match. I guess that means they're going to wrestle on the next Omni card for WCW. But you see, the only man that you people should be talking about is the ECW heavyweight champion, the ECW television champion. And that is a man, Terry Funk, that is so animalistic that he is going to carve you up like professional wrestling's answer to Mrs. John Wayne Bobbitt. Indeed. I, I was a big fan of Dick Togo, and it's really cool to see Dick Togo still tearing it up in New Japan. Yeah. But Kai and Tai DX in general, I, I forgot about that blip of time with the WWF light heavyweight championship. Right. So that was it's considered racist. Now can't do that old kind tie gimmick anymore. Isn't it? I mean, I guess I'm saying this as a straight white guy. Uh, so my opinion doesn't matter, but uh, it is a shame that you can't fake uh, the old uh, Kung Fu movie voice. Who was, I think it was, it was a uh, Kane and Shane McMahon, <laughs> it, it, or maybe it was Bruce Pritchard. I've heard that too. Yeah, 
I think I. Oh yeah, it was Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard would do indeed, and then Shane McMahon did the offensive part. <laughs> so I think that wrestling has always been riddled with that. Sure. Right. And I still think that there's ways that you could, I don't know. It's that's a dark part of wrestling. What part? Just the the race part. Yes. Sure. It's interesting. Genderfication. Is that the word? Genderfication? No, that's, that's for gender. No. Um, I, you know, it's tough. The problem is, is, uh, we live in a hyper liberal age. And um, sadly, certain things are off the table because people like to be offended. And there, there's some things that I, I'm i okay with standing up for. Sure, of course. You know, I think that... There's a lot of things. Vince McMahon was out of his goddamn mind. Dropping N-bombs? Dropping N-bombs. <laughs> you have to be fucking kidding me, dude. And the fact that... I can kind of see the... I can kind of see what he was going for, though. It doesn't mean it's right, but I can kind of see what he was going for. You know, he's this asshole millionaire who's trying to act like a street G. And uh, what's a good way to do it? You know, look, Mike D of the Beastie Boys in the middle of a, a pretty big concert in their very early years did it just once. And that was enough for him to realize I shouldn't have done that. And yeah. I won't be doing that again. Yeah. And I think that there's there's lines that you shouldn't cross. And there's even been people that have taken me for task because I grew up watching things like Kung Pao. Kung Pao is one of my favorite fucking movies. It really is funny. Yeah. And what's wrong with it? Um, just because I dropped the line from Kung Pao and then I got, can I hear the line? I can't even remember what it was. I, you know, I know that movie pretty well. I can't think of anything that stands out as it's a pretty inoffensive movie. I was probably quoting evil Betty or something like that. And then <laughs> somebody was like, oh, well, he's got my favorite line in the whole movie. He says, no, nah, I can dance like that if I felt like it. Yeah, <laughs> that was amazingly on point. Thank Holy you. shit, that was good. But I think that I was maybe mimicking the voice and then but it's not like a japanese voice thank you i have been called bad before many have said i do things that are not correct to do i don't believe in such talk as this i am nice man with happy feelings all of the time first a joke what do you get when you cross an owl with a bungee cord? My ass. <laughs> Enough! I was moving my mouth like I was... So someone a... told you, like, hey, man. Yeah. They're like, yo, man, that's kind of racist. And I'm, I'm just like, have you... Have you watched any old school martial arts films? Have you seen a Godzilla movie for fuck's sakes? Right. And and that was the gimmick of Kaintai. Yes. It's you go out there, move your mouth in an exaggerated fashion. And boy, oh boy, 
uh, Takamichinoku really was exaggerating, you know, move his whole fucking head when he would talk just yeah. so the back row could see. And uh, Shane McMahon was going, oh, you're so funny. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't know. That kind of sounded French. But it was oh, very- oui, oui. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Anyway, well, it's a shame. We won't be able to see that, uh, whatever. But it, it makes me wonder what is, where is that line? You know, could you be like, let's say you got, let's say you got a call from Victor Quinones. Doesn't he book down in Mexico or is it Puerto Rico? Anyway, let's say you got a gig down at AAA and, um, your gimmick was, like, I hate Lucha Libre. <laughs> not that you hated Mexicans or Mexico, or actually not that you hated Mexicans, that you hated Mexico because it's dirty and uh, everyone wrestles like an ass. There's people that to this day that are still getting booked writing gimmicks like that. Right. Like there's American wrestlers that go down there and they work that angle. Right. But would people come down on them? Hmm. Interesting question well probably not this guy hates mexicans yeah but it and also and at that point is it racism or is it xenophobia which one's okay yeah xenophobia so the i was gonna mention who was the american actress that got uh casted in ghost in the shell um the south african lady i don't think she was south african I'm uh, the girl who was in Mad Max, Fury Road. Why can't I think of her name? She was an American actress. Okay. Are you sure? Um, in Ghost in the Shell? Yeah. Yeah, she was an American actress. Sorry, I'm grabbing my phone. Yeah. No, no, you continue to talk. I'll look. So, from what I remember... I don't know why I can't remember her name. Everyone was up in arms because they made this live-action... Ghost oh. in the Shell movie. Yeah, the whitewash business. Yes. And, oh, well, they whitewashed her. Well, one, it was a cartoon. Two, the creators of the cartoon even went to publicly state. We it had- was, by the way, sorry. It was uh, Charlize Theron. Okay. Who was uh, born South African. Okay. So she, but a parent's white. So... She, There's plenty of white people in Africa, bro. I, yeah, I've met a few. They're great. <laughs> like, I don't know what you want me to say to that. Um, it, I'm just I, making the, a distinction. Yeah. Yes. So she, everyone's getting up in arms about this in America and like, oh, this is bullshit and yada, yada, yada. And then there was the creators said, we didn't even intend her to be Japanese. Yeah, I remember the old cartoon. It doesn't look like a Japanese person. They went even as far to there was some person that went to Japan and they had a picture of Charlize Theron. Oh, wait, you said Ghost in the Shell, huh? Yes. Sorry, I looked up Aeon Flux. Okay, no. <laughs> I got my cartoons messed up. Yeah, we're, we're, talking, we're talking Ghost in the Shell. Sorry. So some person went to Japan with a picture of the actress mm-hmm. that was cast in the role and was asking people on the street do you know ghost in the shell yes i know ghost in the shell what do you think about her being cast in the lead role she's beautiful right and that's all they said well it's an americanized thing right uh it's not limited to america but certain westernized cultures 
have really taken up this. I mean, this is a deeper conversation than what I was hoping to get into, but uh, you know, the, they've taken up this sort of, um, Oh boy. How do I say this without fucking burying myself? Uh, the, where victimhood has a, can take priority over anything. Right. Uh, you know, whatever. Let's leave it there. I need to get off of this fucking. <laughs> so Sabu. Sabu, man. I think the Sabu was rad. I uh, All this botch business, I don't care about any of it. I very rarely ever saw him botch because a lot of that stuff didn't even happen on television. It's not to say that it didn't happen on TV. But, um, but you know, a lot of sloppy stuff happened in ECW all the time. That's oh, yeah. why people pop like crazy. That's why the you fucked up chant originated from ECW. Yeah, but they wouldn't say you fucked up if they got impact. Right. You know, if they saw... You know, what was that WWE pay-per-view that they did for ECW where December it was, to dismember. Yeah, dude. He fucking cleans out. No, not that one. That's the bad one, right? Yeah. No. Said, oh, no. You're talking about One Night Stand. Yeah, I think so. It's him versus Rey Mysterio. Yeah. Like, God damn. It's like. they That match didn't have a finish. Did it not? It did not have a finish. Well, the finish they gave was pretty spectacular. Yeah, it was that uh, diving DDT. Uh, oh, I see what you mean. It didn't have a finish as in... There was it, no pinfall. Yeah, there was no pinfall. They, they just, just stopped it. They're like, nope, stop this one. I wonder if that was on purpose. It, be- it had to be. It, like, I, it, someone got hurt and was like, I don't think I can finish. Yeah, Rey Mysterio goes down on his head and, and of course, Sabu jumps, you know, <laughs> he has a, a table barely break his fall to the concrete. Yeah. So, yeah. And... Uh, yeah, Sabu, no no stranger to uh, drugs and alcohol. Yeah, and I mean, Sabu is somebody who, it's, it was always wondered by my friends and I if he would ever be able to have a substantial run in WWE. And I don't think that he could with the road schedule and the the pace he kept the pace he kept i don't think it was humanly possible yeah at the time you were hoping for it you know especially with the invasion angle i believe he was not one of the people that who was involved initially you know you saw rob van dam and it's like yeah but i don't believe you saw sabu and when he eventually was there it was in a lessened capacity yep um uh I could be getting that wrong. I just, sadly, he couldn't do all the things that he wanted or was known for um, because they probably just wouldn't allow that sort of shit. You know, he was, a, a to a certain extent, a very sloppy guy. Well, even WCW, if I remember correctly, there was a pay-per-view that he wrestled possibly Alex Wright or Mr. JL, Jerry Lynn under a hood. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, yeah, no table tonight. And it's like, well, no, because I'm Sabu. I'm going to use a fucking table. Well, Mr. JL, this was during a time where I was not watching WCW, I think. Yeah, it it was during the blue ring with the yellow turnbuckles and they had the WCW target logo. Right. Like right in the middle. Yeah. My introduction to Sabu was with ECW Yeah, and it was a sight to be seen like Jesus Christ, you know, generally, and this is going to sound xenophobic and it technically is, uh, most middle Eastern gimmicks don't get over with me, so to speak. Right. But his is 
just absurdly like crazy. It's like, yo, this guy's a goddamn maniac. Well, the the heritage from the chic. Yeah. And the and once again, hardcore wrestling, like Well, just his presence, right? Yeah. Here came a guy, you know, he's wearing the genie pants. And he came out with the headdress on, and when he took it off, he looked like he played bass for a death metal band. Yeah. He zigzagged in scars, like, everywhere. Yeah. Uh, More than any other wrestler I've ever seen, still probably to this day. Yeah. You know, his were all in places where you would really see them. Arms, chest, just his entire torso. You know, he just had that one strand of tape around his his arm that what he had scratched Sabu for some reason. Yep. You know, he was a crazy character. And you would see some of these matches. Like I remember seeing him break his jaw. I forget what this was and who it was against. I remember seeing him his jaw he taped was broken. His head yeah. He grabbed tape and taped his jaw to his head. And then continued to wrestle with. He didn't tear off the roll. It was just dangling. Yeah, you know, it was. I the remember that most craziest shit. It, ECW, even in its more polished, you know, end of days, was so punk rock, and just free spirit, and just had a rebel feeling to it. It was so exciting that uh, I couldn't believe that it was not any bigger than what it was now of course there's obviously other elements that go into that but uh and he was a big part of it yeah it and i think that it's hard to you can't blame him for the impact that he had on the industry but he might be a little responsible well you you can blame him in the same way that as much as i worship Mick Foley, and I do. I mean, you're talking to someone who has not only read every autobiography he's ever written, but every novel he's ever written. Yep. Um, uh, but I, not not that I would, if I ever met him, I'd go, you know, you're to blame, like how uh, Dean Ambrose did that to him. He accosted him at a yep. WrestleMania Access event, you know. You're to blame for all these kids killing themselves. But there is that responsibility. He did popularize doing very violent things to himself and opening the door for other people who were, let's say either less talented or less aesthetically pleasing to get into the industry. And this was their way to get to, uh, at least the middle of the card. Yeah. You know, um, you could say the same thing about Sabu. You could say the same thing about a lot of guys from ECW. Um, Having said all that, I forgive them. I don't forgive them their transgressions. It's not a big deal. It is what it is. It's the world we live in. I choose to live in it. And, um, you know, I think his body of work was pretty fantastic. It's a shame that with that style of wrestling comes um, the the bad parts of the lifestyle. And that's the hard drugs that really ended up fucking up a lot of these guys. Yeah. I think, well, it's interesting to see where the industry will go. I think that the longevity of the workers in the industry are going to be around a lot longer than those prior. Why do you think that? Because the hard drug use isn't necessarily there. Yeah. The road schedule is not the same. 
Um, there's people that are understanding that they are athletes and they are taking care of their bodies as such. Mm-hmm. Not to say back then that they weren't taking care of themselves like athletes, but during the heyday, that was the thing to do was party, brother. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe that's that's part of it. And a lot of these guys are uh, fucking nerds who go back to their hotel room and uh, play King of Coliseum 2 or That's whatever. That's me. <laughs> that is me. Yes, uh, sir. And, uh, you know, that's part of it. And the other part is, you're right, the schedule. You're not doing 300 days a year anymore. Uh, so I suppose it's healthy. And I'm I'm excited to see. There's There's so many straight edge wrestlers that are out now. You know, there's now that marijuana is off of WWE's banned substance list. You know, I think that once again, happy 420. Yeah. WWE celebrates uh, Hitler's birthday. No, stop it with that. (laughs) Someone's going to get really upset about that. And that's okay because you're making jokes. But them removing that off the banned substance list is going to help people sleep. It's going to help people with pain management. And it might be something that they should have done a long time ago, but they wouldn't have ever been able to pull the trigger because it's not federally legal yet. However, state by state, state by state. And eventually at some point, I think within the next five years, it probably will be federally legal. Well, that depends on who's pushing that bill through. Yeah. I don't know. It's not the, the top of their priority list. Sadly, uh, the uh, political climate, it's hard to get anything done. Well, it may, it may, once they can realize how much money they can make, they they might. Who knows? Any closing comments on Sabu? Thank you for throwing your body into tables, but... Fuck you for putting press tables out of business because I'd rather go through tables than doors. Yeah, and fuck you, ICP. Turnbuckle Boogie is a Devo Looter production and is produced by Timothy Styles and Cody Hancock with web production and music provided by Timothy Styles. For more information, go to turnbuckleboogie.com. And for booking information on Cutthroat Cody Hancock, go to CutthroatCody.com. See you next Monday.